Hey, welcome to the Word Weaver podcast, a place dedicated to the powerful web words weave and the deep layers they uncover. Here you'll find a compilation of tips, tricks, and words of wisdom from writers, authors, creatives, and entrepreneurs. Basically, cool people doing cool things in the world and how they've used words as weapons of mass creation and inspiration. You'll also hear from me, your host, Louise Johnson. I'm a former marketing maven in New York and Switzerland. I left a lucrative job to follow my dream of becoming a writer. It's a never-ending journey, so I figured we should all be in it together. I've learned a lot along the way, but it's a constant evolution. My favorite part is how little by little, letters turn into words, words become sentences, sentences become paragraphs, and before you know it, you've created something from nothing. And whenever that happens in life, it's nothing short of magic. So grab a coffee or a glass of wine, and let's dive into today's chapter. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Word Weaver podcast. I hope you guys had an amazing Canada Day long weekend and that wherever you were, you found a body of water to cool off in because it was so crazy hot. At one point, I looked at the outdoor thermometer at my parents' cottage and it actually said over 50 degrees Celsius, which is over 120 Fahrenheit. Just stepping outside, I'd never felt humidity like that before. It just enveloped you like this huge blanket and wouldn't let go. And then it was kind of nice after a while, though, because it was like everybody is in this giant sauna. You're all kind of in this dazed, groggy state because it's too hot. But nobody's mad because you can't get upset when it's that hot. You're just collectively loopy and lethargic. I took a break from my phone for the long weekend, which wasn't that long. I guess it was just like three or four days. But it was really nice just to wake up, have a cup of coffee, and actually talk to my family just sitting there, then going for a swim. It was just one of those nice weekend reminders that I'm a lot happier without a phone, not being tethered to that thing or checking it constantly. I sleep a lot better, I'm calmer, I'm more productive, and I'm just more present with the people around me. It was an awesome weekend, but I'm happy to be back in Toronto. I've actually got a lot coming up in the month of July, which I'm looking forward to. It's going to be busy, but I'm the best version of myself when I'm busy, so lots of good things coming down the pipe. Or is it pike? Anyway, let's kick off the podcast this week. A very happy 4th of July to all of my American friends, and I'm so excited about the interview on today's chapter. I seriously had the best time talking with Alex. To be honest, I didn't even want the podcast to end. We could have talked for hours and hours and hours. She's just such a cool girl, a great friend. She really has her finger on the pulse of what is happening in the literary landscape today. So definitely kind of let her words wash over you because I think you'll be really inspired by what she has to say and also by her career trajectory. Alex is a senior publicist at Penguin Random House Canada here in Toronto. She's also the co-founder of GF, a PR collective that focuses on a highly personal, collaborative approach to public relations. And she's also a graduate of Concordia University's highly competitive creative writing program. Alex is a fellow self-proclaimed book nerd, and her current favorite genres are autofiction, personal essay, and experimental prose. She's a published poet and continues to write poetry and short essays. Alex is originally from Ottawa, but the two of us grew up together during the summers reading books on the beach at one of our favorite places, Norway Bay, Quebec. In addition to Ottawa, Alex has also lived in Montreal, but she now calls Toronto home. I had a wait with words for a while. 
Hi, Alex. Welcome to the Word Weaver podcast. I'm so excited to have you here just because I think great taste and you're just cool. So I'm excited to chat with you about all things bookish and you have a very sweet job that we'll get into that's very relevant to word weaving. But before we get into all of that, I kind of, I like starting with people's past. I like going back to childhood because I think that's what shapes who you become as an adult. So what were you like as a kid? Did you always write? Were you always like reading in the corner of the scene <laughs> recess? I always did for sure. I sat in the butterfly garden. Like, So yeah, tell us about your childhood. I feel like that's a really good question. Um, yeah, so I've always been a reader. I've mm-hmm. always been that voracious kid at the cottage. We met at our cottage when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone listening. Um, I always was reading a ton, um, had very specific tastes from a young age. That's changed as I've gotten older. Obviously, mm-hmm. I was really into Harry, Harry Potter classically. The best. And his Dark Materials and those kind of fantasy type books. And that really got me into reading. And then I was also always writing, but in a way that I had these when I was thinking about this this interview with you, I was thinking about these travel journals that I used to keep when I was a kid. What? Because I had journals that I would write about my day and whatever, um, but I used to meticulously document when I would go on trips with my family. That is so cute. Every day, I would write the date, I would write where we were, and like what we had done that day, and how I felt about it, and all of these things, and I recently found all of these, and it's really nice, because I mean, it traces my love of writing back really far, but it also is this really nice memento of these trips that I went on with my family because I really recorded everything in words. Yeah. Um, and that's before blogging. It was before blogging. It was before... Instagram. Instagram, email, anything, really. Yeah. Pen, um, good old pen and paper. Pen and paper. And then I had a pen pal for a little <laughs> while, Becca from the cottage. We wrote letters to each other yeah. when we were kids. And then I was, I've always just been an artistic person. Mm-hmm. I went into theater first. I tried painting. I did kind of all of that stuff, and then I went to high school for theater, and I took a writer's craft class that really just, as cheesy as it sounds, kind of changed my life. I'd always been writing, you know, journaling, and I started writing poetry when I was a young teenager, Mm -hmm. and I kind of just found one of those teachers that really believed in me, and high school wasn't great for me otherwise, and it was really nice to have someone be like, you're, you're really talented, and you should yeah. kind of foster this and, and, and try to hold on to it. So I ended up, you know, sending him my writing the next year, too, and when I was in grade 12, and he was really a good editor for me, and then I put together a portfolio and applied to Concordia and got in. And Such an awesome program. Kind of history. Yeah, it was an amazing program. It was I mean, really scary at first because I think poetry specifically is so personal and I was used to keeping it kind of close to my chest. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of writers feel that way where you kind of release your baby out into the world and it's really scary. Yeah. And it was a group of people in every workshop class that were really good writers and everyone had gotten into this program that's, you know, not to toot my own horn, but like hard to get into. It's very hard to get into. Um, You're not tooting your own horn. It's true. um, (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was scary but it was amazing and I still talk to so many of those people so many of them have gone on to do such great things a lot of them are published now have written books have released poetry collections have started small presses like it just it was such a great community yeah and it really cemented my kind of love of the literary world and writers and and that whole kind of thing yeah speaking of poetry I 
I've told you this before, but I find it so challenging, Mm -hmm. but I love reading it. I just think it's so simple, but every word has to matter. Mm -hmm. How did you get drawn to that? Was it the simplicity of the words, but also like the weight behind it? Because I find that a very hard craft to master and you've published a lot of poetry. Yeah, I think it's something about poetry for me is it's so encompasses capturing a moment I'm yeah. a really not an emotional person necessarily, but I feel like I had an easier time capturing moments or images via poetry than I did, you know, writing. I love reading stories, I love reading fiction, but I had a harder time kind of streamlining all of my thoughts into a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that poetry gave me the freedom to kind of capture these moments. It's a little more abstract, because, too. Yeah, it's more abstract. You have more freedom to do what you want I think coming from a theater background was was big in that because a a lot of poetry is also reading poetry and 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 that whole community where I went to a lot of readings when I was in university and it felt more like an art form that you could exhibit or that kind of thing true that's where it started for me I also feel like you can write poetry everywhere and be inspired by anything yeah are you still writing poetry yeah, mm-hmm. anything you can share? Will we see anything soon? Um, or is it still kind of a private practice, a I'm way for you to release? On, I'm working on my second collection that I'm hoping to publish somewhere at some point, but Yay. I don't know when or where. Can you tell us about your first collection? Yeah, so my, my first one that you I think you read yep. was I published it through a friend of mine who started a small press, and it was very much a cathartic thing. I think that's the nice thing about poetry too, is it, it was just like, it came after a really hard time in my life and yeah. I had written a lot in that period and it kind of helped me digest all of that and put it out into the world. It's therapy. Yeah. It yeah. was really therapeutic. Um, and I think I've written a lot about writing as therapy and that kind of thing. And, and that really was what that felt like for me. And I think I'm kind of doing a similar thing with my second book, just working through a lot of my own thoughts and feelings via poetry. I love that. Would you ever delve into fiction or nonfiction? Or are you kind of like the format of poetry? I like poetry a lot, but I think I do really like short fiction. I took a workshop in university called Experimental Fiction that I really liked. And also, I think a lot of what I've been reading lately has been personal essay style and this genre called autofiction. Yeah, well, can you tell us about autofiction? Yeah, so it's kind of... Have you read any Sheila Hetty? Yes. So Sheila okay. Hetty is like champion of autofiction. Like it's like, it's kind of autobiog- autobiographical, but it's not. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't it's know what that term meant, yeah. but I know her. Yeah. So it's told from the first person, but it's kind of a narr- more of a narrative than just a, a collection straight of memoir. essays or a straight memoir. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's experimental memoir almost. I do. I agree. I, I think I like that more like that's what I'm drawn to lately as well yeah kind of moving on a little bit after school did you continue writing throughout and then you've also co-founded a PR company Mm -hmm. with your friend Jamie Mm -hmm. so in my time where I was at Concordia I was also doing journalism so I was the arts editor uh, the fringe arts editor at my university newspaper so I was doing a lot of um, writing about music. I remember reading some of your articles. Yeah. That was before Instagram. You posted them on Facebook. (laughs) So I would go read those. Yeah. Yeah. But they were amazing. You got to interview really cool people in the Montreal scene. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of that. And I I think I kind of, I mean, again, I love books. I love writing, but it never felt like a feasible career path for me. Like I was like, I'm not going to write poetry as my life. 
job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it didn't, it, it still very much felt like, even though I had been validated and met this community and all these things, it didn't feel like something that was, I felt like I had to channel that into a way that was a lucrative, going to be a lucrative job. Yeah. So I did a lot of arts journalism and that was amazing. I met so many great people. Yeah, I wrote about music, I wrote about visual arts, I wrote about writing and Jamie actually wrote for me. Oh. I was her editor at the school paper, so. So she went to Concordia, too? She went to Concordia, as well. Uh, And then flash forward, I moved to Toronto uh, six years ago, and I was working... I believe that was six years ago. I know. It's wild. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was working as a freelance journalist, basically. I I did a couple of internships. I was doing culture writing things, a little bit of fashion, and then I think just kind of feeling a bit disenchanted with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And someone recommended PR to me, and I really didn't think it was something that I wanted to do at all. Yeah. But I applied for a program at Humber and ended up doing it and ended up really liking it. I went on to work in arts PR. So, I mean, and PR is a confusing thing because a lot of people don't know what it is, but yeah. it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of writing, you know. It's all messaging. the same. It's, all, it's kind of like the more corporate version of what I had been doing. Yeah. So I started doing PR, and then Jamie and I were reunited because her she was she was also working in PR and her agency was hiring and we ended up working together at an agency oh I didn't know that yeah and then from there it's kind of I mean as with everything both of us felt like there were so many things that we liked about PR and so many things that we didn't like about PR especially working at a PR agency it's really easy to get um, a bit disenchanted with if you're working on brands or products that you don't care about but you're telling people that they should care about them it's just a really hard thing that's tricky so Jamie moved to New York to do her master's, and then when she came back, we had always kind of known that we wanted to work together, and we took on a couple of projects doing PR for friends of ours that were artists or musicians or didn't have the capacity to hire a PR agency, and because it's of, a retainer per it's month, it's a retainer. Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, and you you often are getting people that don't care about your brand or you as a person, and yeah, you know. We wanted to be working on brands that if they got a placement somewhere, like, we were as excited as they were. Yeah. You know? Like, I wanted to be like, oh my god, yes. Like, feel that same excitement as they did. Yeah. And it kind of just snowballed from there. We That's decided so cool. to make, to do, like, a partnership, and we worked with a couple of clients, and then word of mouth got recommended to mm-hmm. some more people, and now we're working... I mean, we both have full-time jobs as well, so this is, like, a side hustle for us both, but we just hired an assistant. Our mandate is kind of brands that we care about that we feel aligned with um mostly that's been female and like femme identifying people whether they're creatives or business owners or you know we're working with julia who you interviewed on this podcast yeah. so yeah that's been really great it's been a really nice way to feel like i am supporting this other community we also work with two small publishers so Which that kind of got me-, me into being like oh maybe i can do the book publishing world thing and also do PR and have it be this like nice marriage yeah um because I was working without with without pretend who's a small Toronto-based publisher and then also with Metatron who is a Montreal-based publisher of poetry yeah um I went to school with Ashley who founded it so yeah I think that was kind of the catalyst for me being like maybe this is what I should be doing I really do think you found the perfect union Mm -hmm. And like you said, you found a way to use your PR and your love of books, and now you're the senior publicist at Penguin Random House mm-hmm. here in Toronto, mm-hmm. which is the largest publisher by far. Mm-hmm. I think HarperCollins is like mm-hmm. just under there. Yeah, we're, we're head to head. Head to head, yeah. <laughs> and then Amazon is coming in, but we can get into yeah. that. That's a whole other oh, man, yeah. beast 
can you tell us what it is like working at the biggest publisher, Penguin Random House? I think everybody's heard of them, mm-hmm. whether they realized it was a publishing house or not. Mm-hmm. Your favorite book is most definitely, most likely... A Penguin book. A Penguin book. Yeah. I mean, it happened... Uh, the way that it happened was really funny because I had seen the job, you know, posting. And I applied for it, and it was a last-minute post, and I had three interviews, and all of my interviews, I was so eager. Like, I was so, (laughs) hi, I love books. Like, please hire me. I'm so stoked. Like, that was, like, me in all of my interviews. I would have loved you if you came and said, (laughs) hi, I love books. I'm here to work. Like, let me tell you what I'm reading. Let me tell you how I feel. Like, it was just, like, me being, like, so extra, which isn't really how I always am. I think it was just a product of how excited I am about this industry. You're very calm, cool, collected. I think usually, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, so I ended up not getting that position then, but the hiring manager reached out to me and he called me actually and he was like, hey, so we're giving the job to someone else literally based only on the fact that he has like this, I didn't know, I now know it's a he, but I didn't know at the time who it was. (laughs) This person. Um, This person has more experience with this very specific thing and we're looking to fill a role quickly. And I was like, obviously super bummed, but he was like, we never hire freelancers, but we want to, we want you to stay on board with us. So like, we want to give you freelance work. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, that's amazing. Yeah. I'll take Um, that. So I met up with him a couple of times after that. So this was in like January and he, I did some freelance work for Penguin. And then when a spot opened up on his team, like a few months ago, he called me this is my, my now boss. He called me and he said, uh, a spot's opening on my team and I really want it to be you. And they brought me in again and I met with a couple of people and now I'm on the team there. The rest is history. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, the really nice thing I think about working at Penguin has been how much everyone there genuinely loves books. Like yeah. it's, it's so nice to go into work and people are just talking about what they read that weekend or like giving each other books. So there's like internal book clubs and, you know, and I was kind of touching on this with you before, but the pod that I sit in at work, we tend, we kind of all have the same book taste, but people are so non-judgmental about what mm-hmm. you're reading, which I found, you know, doing a literary program and, and being in those kind of circles, sometimes you can feel like, you know, if you want to read something like a little fluffy, people are like, actually, this is a really embarrassing anecdote, but I will tell you guys. Please. Yes. Um, I love embarrassing anecdotes the best. First year I was reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Nope. It was Twilight. I Twilight. Was Twilight. Yeah. Both very Both popular very books. Very popular books. New York like, Times bestsellers. Exactly. I was reading Twilight and I remember I had to hide it. Like I just like, if anyone came over to my dorm room or like, I, yeah. I never brought it out in public. Like I was just like, this is my dirty little secret that I'm reading this book. Like actually I'm reading Thoreau. And this yeah. Is covered. Like, Don't worry about it. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that part of it's really nice where you know, Penguin published Fifty Shades of Grey and, and there are some people that I work with that are really just into like Sophie Kinsella and like, yeah. you know, like that is a huge market. Beach reads. Beach reads are huge. Yeah. And I think it's just really nice that people are A, so enthusiastic about this this industry and be so just happy if you're reading. Like it's like, it doesn't matter what you're reading. Yeah. Obviously people get excited if you're into the same stuff as them, but they're just excited that you that you like books yeah and they're happy to talk it's almost better if you like a different Mm -hmm. genre because then you can learn from them and they can learn from you about a new book they probably wouldn't have picked up off the shelf exactly yeah that is so cool Mm -hmm. and then can you kind of narrow in a little bit on what does 
PR department do at a publishing house? So we work, I mean, I think a common misconception is people confuse PR and marketing a lot. And we do work really closely together. So every book that I work on, and we're generally assigned like six to eight per season, reading season. So this is summer Mm -hmm. 2018. Which is the best time. Which is a great time. So for every book that I work on, you you kind of have a team of people that you're working with and the marketing lead is someone that you work really close with. But basically how I break down PR versus marketing in a really easy way is marketing is generally paid. Yeah. So a lot of advertising, social stuff. Gotcha. um, Partnerships, that kind of thing. Whereas PR is quote-unquote earned media yeah so more organic organic, yeah it's more organic and what I do day-to-day I mean it depends on the book so we have some authors that tour that's so cool so they'll come here or go to Montreal or Vancouver or whatever all these places and I I basically act as their personal publicist so I you know handle their tour schedule Mm -hmm. I go to all their media I set up all their media stuff for them I pitch out the book to Mm -hmm. placed places yeah I pitch them out for interviews would you travel with them to yeah. the bookstores? Yeah. That's awesome. They get to travel. That's a cool yeah, for sure. perk of the job, too. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, you're, it's nice getting to know these people, and, you know, especially if you've read someone's book and really loved it, yeah. it's really cool to, to be part of that process. I think of authors as celebrities. They are a bit. It's yeah. funny. I feel like you, I'm not working with anyone, like, super famous right now, but yeah. I, there's people on my team that work with people that you're like, oh, my God. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, J.K. Rowling walks in. Yeah, really? walks in. Well, I mean, Pegman just bought the rights to the Obamas really? biographies. So you're basically going to so meet my boss is Obama Michelle and Michelle Obama's book, and it's like, wait, is she going to be in the office? Probably. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, and yeah, and sometimes we have remote authors that are like UK based, and they don't bring them to North America. So mm-hmm. in that, in that, you're mostly just pitching them, and you know, we write press releases. We do that kind of stuff try to get them on summer reading lists which there's is actually huge. a lot of yeah there's a lot of book media yeah which is great just recorded an episode or a chapter about the difference between self-publishing and traditional and the mm-hmm. pros and cons and i think that's one of the biggest pros of traditional publishing is that mm-hmm. you get a whole dedicated team mm-hmm. helping you get placement and helping you with the book tour and all because it's hard to do that alone if you don't have those oh, that yeah. network or you wouldn't know what to do. So I think that's really cool. And it's a really, yeah, it's a hard, it's not that it's a hard industry, but there's a lot of things that it is definitely helpful to have a team of people that know. Yeah. You know, and yeah, if you, if you were to get published with Penguin, for example, like you'd have a publicist and I could be your publicist, but I also have a team below me. So it's like mm-hmm. you have me as your like head person, Lead. but then you also, I also have so much support. You get a lot out of it. Yeah. And then you have a publisher and an editor and a sales lead and a marketing lead and it's just like all of these people that are involved. Yeah. It takes so literally as soon as the writing process is done, it becomes a product and you have this whole team, but it's be it's not just this corporate. I feel like mm-hmm. it's this, like you said, this really warm, inviting group of people who just love books. Yeah. Which is the best part mm-hmm. of working there. Mm-hmm. So my question too also is like on the authors we talked about this a little bit before with your poetry mm-hmm. it's a private process putting your thoughts into a book and it could be for a year you're writing this alone completely in isolation mm-hmm. so it's completely different like going to the business side of things mm-hmm. do you find it hard like working in PR with authors who aren't good at jumping to the other side and you have to kind of coach them through it and then also how do you as a writer handle that yeah I mean there's a lot of um 
I haven't really worked with anyone yet who's been like having a hard time with media stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, there definitely is a piece of it that's kind of coaching. And a lot of writers aren't people that want to be out in the media, you right. know? And, and they prefer you their... To, you have to deal with that. Like, I'm I'm working with someone right now who, who won't fly. Really? refuses to fly. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to make this whole book tour around places that she can drive to. Yeah. You know? And, like, there are funny things like that, and you need to make people comfortable, and it's... That's so neat. You know, we do media training with people. There's a reason why oh. I go to, you know, I accompany authors to, if they're going to be on the morning show, or if they're going to be... Mm-hmm getting interviewed by someone like we're there for that whole process because yeah. I think it just it can be overwhelming and you want people to feel super comfortable especially if yeah they they're they're used to being kind of alone and like yeah. you know don't know that and that whole in thing. this dark cabin in the woods yeah and the, the whole like having a marketing lead and a sales lead and like all of these they can be overwhelming yeah if you don't understand the process so I think a big part of what I've always tried to do is just really make sure that people know that you're a human being and you're a person and they have a team and they can call you like I'm very much on team like call me if you have a question or you know as soon as I'm introduced to an author via email I'll call them and be like hi like I'm your publicist because I feel like it's so easy to just email with people you could be this faceless person yeah this faceless name yeah on your screen and I think and a lot of people, you've said this before, think you're a guy. A lot of people think Alex you're a guy. McGill. Yeah, yeah. Always, <laughs> yeah. always people think I'm a boy. <laughs> so you, that's good. You call them. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're a no. guy or a girl, but it's cool that you call them and you have this like yeah. warm, friendly female voice, especially yeah. maybe if they're a female author, exactly. they feel more comfortable with you, mm-hmm. which is cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess kind of on that vein, mm-hmm. the new CEO of Penguin yeah. Random House is Kristen Cochran. Yeah. The first, is it the first female CEO ever? Yeah. What is that like working with her? And tell us about what that means for the publishing industry. I was shocked that it's 2018 and she's the first CEO. I didn't know that. Right after this happened with Kristen at Penguin, last week it came out that Toronto Star just hired their first female editor-in-chief ever. Ever? Ever. In Toronto, which is such a... which is wild. You just don't think about it in terms of... Yeah, you just assume yeah. that we're past that. But, I mean, Brad Martin, who was the CEO before Kristen, had been the CEO for, like, ever. Decades. Like, so long. Yeah. And she, yeah, we had this, I mean, I had a meeting with her when I first started because she likes to meet with everyone when they're hired. and Which is just, great. Yeah, and she just has this really nice office full of books, and it's like it feels like a living room. And she just we just, like, chatted about book clubs and, like, what we were reading and... She felt very comfortable and and nice, but she started as like an executive assistant and just worked her way up. Really? Yeah, like such a. I, I feel like this happens to so many women where they just start so bottom of the totem pole and just like work their way up in the supporting role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think it's huge. I mean, it's the biggest, as you said, publisher, one of the biggest publishers in yeah. the world, and to have it be led by a female is huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I do find it's more impressive because women always have to work 10 times harder to get that position. Yeah. So the fact that she did that is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome that you're working for that company. Yeah. And it happened like two weeks after I got there and, or like a month after I got there. And I was like, this is amazing. Oh my God. That's so cool. Especially because I think as a, as a writer and a reader, I make such an effort to, you know, when I was in school to, to read female writers, to follow female writers, to have female mentors even yeah. though I've worked with and continue to work with some great men and read great men and all these things, I think yeah. 
I was always kind of searching for that female. So you want someone that looks kind of like you, right? Or like that you can see yourself yeah. being and that so you can maybe, emulate. Yeah. And you love Joan Didion. I love her. Yeah. I love Joan Didion. Yeah. When did you first get into her? I'm kind of ta- doing a tangent. Yeah, a tangent. Um, I think but I love a chance to talk she, about Joan. She was my first foray kind of into modern like essay nonfiction yeah. writing. So probably at the end of high school. Mm-hmm. Like right before I went into university, I got into her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's so great. They're making a play apparently about a white album. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And we both and watched watch the, the Netflix. Yeah, yeah, the Netflix one. <laughs> yeah. I need to rewatch that actually yeah, now. So good. I want to reread some of her. She's just so good. Your voice kind of reminds me of her a little bit. Really? Yeah. Oh, such a nice compliment. Well, very clear and crisp point of view. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love it. So I kind of want to go into on the realm of like public relations, mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. This is, do you have to, first of all, do you have to deal with this in your job? That's a new. Mm-hmm. realm so I deal with it on a kind of uh removed basis so I help with like influencer strategy a bit and um yeah like share like social but I'm not I'm not managing author social or doing any of that stuff that's a whole separate department yeah so marketing does a lot of paid social placement mm-hmm. and and social advertising and all that kind of stuff but we're definitely all intertwined and yeah, it is, it is, it's funny how important it's becoming yeah. for writers. It's also things like, you know, if, if we have a book with a really beautiful cover, we want to send it out to people that are going to post it on Instagram. Right? right, right. So that's a big thing where I'm kind of always scouring for people that, you know, I think would like this book and would post about it. And Do you look at, I just recently discovered this whole community called Bookstagram. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it took me this long, but I clicked on that hashtag and I was like, oh my God, this is a whole realm. People have dedicated Mm -hmm. Instagram accounts and they only post flat lays of books or... And like their coffee. And their coffee. And like huge and people love that and that's cool. And, you know, so that's, I mean, influencers and and social media is just something that we've had to learn how to navigate in the last few years because it's just really blown up. Yeah. Um, The term influencer, I do hate though, I have to say. I hate it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it can be so not organic, or can feel so not organic that I think in what Jamie and I do, and also now at Penguin, I really try my hardest to if I'm going to use an influencer for anything, it's going to be someone that's super aligned and that it makes a lot of sense yeah. and that it feels like it's real. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we went through kind of this weird plateau where people were just being paid to post anything. And you you look at someone like, like that and you're diapers, like, diapers, flat yeah. tummy tea, all that. Yeah, like why would stuff. I like, why would I buy anything you're selling to me because you're just being paid? Like you're just posting anything that you're paid. Yeah, I get confused by influencers who just post to post because I'm I'm like, what are you influencing me? Like we, I think authors are celebrities. At that point. Yeah, you know what I mean, like it's like paying for an ad. Right. It's very. It's a weird realm. Mm-hmm. So I. I applaud you for figuring out a good way to navigate that because I, I agree it can be useful mm-hmm. but I find it's a there's a lot of clutter yeah and I there's a, luckily in the book sphere people don't true. tend to post about books unless they actually you know are readers and, and care about it yeah so I'm finding a lot of the people that I that I find on that side are a bit more genuine or I think that's what I've seen so far yeah so that part of it's good but yeah, it's a it's a hard world. It's really weird. But then you, I mean, I don't know. You look at, I look at, and I've been asked this a lot as someone who writes poetry and who works in PR. It's like the Rupi Car effect, you know? Like she literally 
got famous on Instagram and yeah. like whether or not I like her writing is like kind of besides the point because she's made this huge platform for poetry to make it more accessible at a time where people really weren't reading poetry. Yep. Or and, publishing or publishing poetry. Big books, yeah. Yeah, so I mean I think I think there are pros and cons. Yeah, it's hilarious you bring that up. That's why I love talking to you cuz mm-hmm. you know exactly what I'm thinking all the time. <laughs> but I just recorded that too about how she built this platform on Instagram self-published, which is usually kind of not frowned upon, but mm-hmm. in the literary world it's not the best yeah Yeah. because anybody can do it Mm -hmm. so she but she built the platform self-published on instagram and then i think she sold over a million copies with that because she had a million followers and that's when she got andrew mcneil publishing Mm -hmm. to pick up her book Mm -hmm. which i found interesting because she didn't need them at that point she'd already sold a million copies Mm -hmm. but she signed with them because that was the only way she could get on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. So they kind of used each other. Like, they picked her up knowing she could sell mm-hmm. use, use with her platform. And then she signed with them using them to get on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. So I think that she's a really cool example. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But that also goes back to if you're not the rupee cars of the world... Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at the New York Times bestseller list of nonfiction, and it's The Real Housewives of New Jersey, Erica Jane, like mm-hmm. all of these celebrities and a lot of cookbooks mm-hmm. because they have huge Instagram followings. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the name of... Maybe it's just that... So that's what I wanted to ask you. Is it just that genre that you need an author platform or you need a platform? Or is it also fiction? How does that work? I think it, it kind of depends. Like, I... I agree with you. I think a lot of the stuff that ends up being on the bestseller list is like, yeah, <laughs> celebrity memoir and, and that kind of stuff because people are just so tapped into that now and they and they want that. It's yeah. Like giving the people what they want. Yeah. And cookbooks. I'm actually working on a couple of cookbooks and they're really fun. Oh, the photography is so Yeah, nice. it's amazing. But again, a very visual thing. People love food blogs. Like, it, it yeah. just... I buy all the cookbooks down. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I love a cookbook. In terms of fiction and that kind of stuff... I think it's been this funny... I think we're in a weird moment where I think for a while a lot of the fiction that sold was, you know, someone would have a runaway bestseller. Yeah. And then they kind of, like, built off of that, right? Or, yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of men, too, it was for a while that, you know, you had to, like, kind of gain some clout. Like, maybe your first book wouldn't sell that well, but then your next one or whatever. Right. Um, but I think I'm seeing a shift towards a lot more... Like, the girl who... One of the girls that I work with is to bring it back to Sheila Hetty, like Sheila Hetty's publicist. Mm-hmm. And she just put out a new book. And I mean, Sheila Hetty's pretty like alt yeah. fiction. Right. She's like not mainstream. No, I'm sure a lot she's of people haven't woman. heard of her. Yeah. She, the, her book is about not wanting to have kids as like a 30 something year old woman. Yeah. And it's been killing it. Like yeah. it's gotten so much positive press. She was in the New York times. She was like yeah. New Yorker, like all over Toronto. Like, so I think there has been a, a bit more of a, a shift in what people are reading, what people are absorbing. There's always going to be that, like, genre of kind mm-hmm. of fluffier, like, celebrity memoir, mm-hmm. just as there's always going to be reality TV shows and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's an escape. But I think I'm feeling positive about the fact that people are consuming more fiction and nonfiction that is, like, of a more literary genre. Um, Quality always wins out. Yeah. At the end of the day. And we learned, I learned this, I've learned this really interesting thing since working in publishing where ebook sales have actually declined. Yay! That makes me so happy! Yeah, and print is, like, fully back on the rise. People are either buying 
physical books or they're getting audiobooks, which is like another huge thing. Yeah. Speaking of Amazon. But. Like podcasts and all that stuff is kind yeah. of seen a resurgence. Yeah, well we're as we're all as Ronna. <laughs> <laughs> um no every book that we do Plug. Now has like a an audio component. Oh cool. So because people are you know driving or commuting or whatever they want to listen to their books, which is cool. Yeah. It's general it's usually the author reading it or someone else with a cool voice. So I'm happy to hear I'm really happy to hear that print sales are also up i for a second thought that chapters indigo was gonna go under somebody told me that i don't know if it was true a no. few years ago chapters is doing really well yes yeah yeah i mean they definitely have a bigger section of their home yeah, products okay. but i don't care as long as they're still there mm-hmm. and i know that you we both obviously love to read and we take the time to read i have a two-part question do you find it hard to find the time and the attention span mm-hmm. now to sit down and read a book and do you find in general with Twitter, people can barely even read tweets now mm-hmm. and picking up books. You have to be more selective of what you buy. Definitely. I think I think people are are learning. I mean, I love I, Chapters Indigo is great. I'm also a big fan of places like Type and Toronto and small... Ben McNally. Ben McNally. Yeah. We do a lot of events with them. It's um, a beautiful space. If you're in yeah. Toronto, go to Ben McNally. So, and Type Books. And Type. But it's nice because you go in and pe- the people that work there know their stuff you know and you can be like you know what I feel like reading this or I heard this was good like what do you think about it like you get that human interaction element Mm -hmm. where it can be overwhelming to go into a big box store or to go on Amazon and not know what you're looking for yeah so I think that process I really like and I think I think people are being more selective and more thoughtful about what they're reading yeah Uh, in terms of finding time to read it's been a really serious like shift in the way that I go about my day trying to find time to read because I like hearing about people's days (laughs) I like routines you think about um I think about when I was a kid and I was I was I was always reading Mm -hmm. always I would go through books like it was my job like I just like endlessly reading how long did it take you to finish Harry Potter probably three days well I remember I was talking to someone recently about how I have a brother I have one brother and we, I used to get the books first and then give them to him. And as they got progressively longer, my mom would have to buy two copies. Remember they came out every summer? Yes. And we wouldn't, like, we would fight each other. I would have to, I would make my parents drive to Arm Prior. Yeah. To pick up all the a book. Yeah. Because there's a one bookstore there. Yeah. We, yeah, we used to get them too. And, but we would have to buy separate copies because <laughs> my brother didn't want to wait for me to be done to read it. So we had I like, love multiple that. copies. But I was thinking about that kind of in the last couple of years and just being like, when do I make time mm-hmm. to read? I really don't unless I'm on vacation or I'm at home or I'm at the cottage or whatever. Um, so I've been really trying to make a conscious effort to when I was commuting on the subway in the winter, mm-hmm. I was not listening to music or being on my phone. I was like using that time to solidly read and then also taking an hour to half an hour before bed to just get into my bed and read because that's something that I did as a kid that was a really nice ritual yeah and I really a it helps you shut off your brain at the end of the day oh my and god yeah it's a really nice space to just take for yourself at the end of the day and read it's so important but yeah even I've noticed my own attention span and I think it's because we feel this pressure to be productive mm-hmm. so even now I'll sit down to read and I'm like oh god like I sh- there's something else I should be doing mm-hmm. this is a- such a luxury but you're a writer I like know. part of what you do I know and that's how you if you don't read you don't know what mm-hmm. good writing is yeah but I do have to say when I am writing and I, are you I want to know if you're like this too I can't read consistently because I get too confused with their mm-hmm. ideas I need to have my own creative vision are you like that I'm a bit like that yeah mm-hmm. or I just find that I'm 
you know, you'll go back to writing and you're like, wait, this was inspired by the segment I was just reading. Yeah. And you have to kind of like check yourself a little bit more, but yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. It is funny that it doesn't feel productive. I know. I read in the bath now every night because I'm, I feel like I'm already in here. It's kind of multitasking. Yeah. But I'm forced to sit here and like read. And do it. Yeah. I mean, I have to read for work now, so. That is such a nice it's, luxury. You know, there's people at work that. You, they go into the lunchroom and people are just eating their lunches reading books I'm like this is beautiful. that's amazing you don't have to make yeah. that force like small no, talk people are just like using that time to read their books yeah it's important I think it's really important and nobody even long form journalism people don't read anymore no. as much so you can confirm print is not dead print is not dead it's yay not dead. I think we're seeing this kind of weird throwback to more like tangible things in a lot of areas I think obviously people got stressed because magazines and newspapers and stuff are having a bit of a rough time yeah and the media landscape is constantly changing but then we're also seeing this kind of you know people are reverting back to buying vinyl Mm -hmm. and books and things that are like things that you can hold on to because so much of our life is in this weird cloud (laughs) i love that we don't have anything that we can hold on to and i feel like our generation a lot we're seeing people taking film photos and like Polaroids are back. Polaroids and like buying records and buying books. And I really love that we're kind of going back to that. I agree. That thing. Because I think, I mean, the cloud could disappear at any second. We could literally lose all of our stuff tomorrow. That's crazy. I know. I'm so scared to lose this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This computer could crash at any second. (laughs) No, but can you tell us what you're reading now? I'm always curious and I feel like you have the best taste. So everybody listen up to what Alex is reading. (laughs) So I've been reading a lot of, as I said, kind of like short fiction essay style stuff. I just read Sheila Hetty's book, Mm -hmm. her new book. It's called Motherhood. It was so good i love the cover yeah it's very simple beautiful i think it also is just really in line with what how i'm feeling as a almost 29 year old woman Mm -hmm. single woman people (laughs) can like relate to this kind of like feeling societal pressure and she just writes about it really well uh before that i read the pisces by melissa broder who's Mm -hmm. like one of my favorite poets um and she just wrote this really weird fiction book it's called the pisces it's basically about this woman that falls in love with a mermaid oh my god man but her writing is just so she just writes about like sex and relationships and yeah and addiction and like all of these things in a really great way i love it some other favorites of mine i love anything maggie nelson mm-hmm. one of my favorite books of last year was too much and not the mood by durga chibos i've heard i haven't read it yet yeah it's so good we were talking about DMing with authors earlier and yeah. I fully DM'd her slash saw her in a restaurant in Montreal and went up to her. I have such a writer crush on her. It's wild. That's like, amazing. I, like, she, I used to read her essays and then this book was, it was just kind of one of those books that was just really life-changing for me. Yeah. And I fully went up to her in a restaurant in Montreal and I was like, hey, this is really weird. I'm not going to like stay and talk to you, but I just had to tell you that I really loved your book. What did she say? Um, she was like, oh my God, thank you. She was so sweet. Yeah. Because um, I feel like authors, again, they're in their little holes, writing caves, and they yeah. don't think people are actually reading yeah. it. She's also just like so cool. Yeah. Um, Conversations with Friends is one that I read recently that I really liked. Yeah. I don't know if you've read it. Yeah. Yeah. And a do you get a lot of books now at work you'll always oh, yeah. be getting I have new like ones a li- i have a stack at work of things that i need to read so is tbr a word there the to be read, to be pile? read pile yeah yeah i think because we always there's you obviously have to read i mean you don't have you have to read all the books that you're representing yeah uh but then we all are working on such cool stuff that people will be like i know you like this kind of thing like the melissa broder book was uh one of my coworkers was like i know you really loved her last book i got a copy of this like you should just take it i love it or um 
something that I've been really looking forward to reading is it's called Tiger Tiger. It's by Joanna Skidsred. She wrote mm-hmm. The Sentimentalists. She did my program in Montreal. Oh, really? Um, I've known The Sentimentalists. I don't know Tiger yeah, Tiger. She, run, she won the Giller for mm-hmm. Sentimentalists. Mm-hmm. Um, Tiger Tiger's her new story collection. Oh, this was a point that I wanted to make about people reading now. I think essay format and short stories are also making a comeback because people can read them and then put them down and True. put them up again and it requires less. Yes. You know? Yes, I agree. It's yeah. easier to read like that. Yeah. I kind of wish my book was like that because I found it harder to make one story yeah. continuous for mm-hmm. But I think there's a time in the play. I also love reading like a full novel. Yeah. And being like, and really giving yourself over to... But chapters yeah. are important because you need to break. You need to break it up. Yeah. yeah. People... People don't have the attention spans to sit there and read the full Harry Potter book like they used to. Like they used to, no. I don't even know if I could do that, and I was obsessed while we both were. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm always open to giving people poetry recommendations because poetry can feel really intimidating, and people don't know where to start, and it's hard. Um, So lately I've been reading... I really love Mary Rufel a lot. All Mm -hmm. of her collections are great. Mary Gateskill is also... Mm -hmm. Just all the Marys. All the Marys. <laughs> all the Marys. All the Marys. I mean, I'm also obviously partial to women writers right now. I, I always have been, but especially now, I feel like I'm making a real conscious effort to read. Because you can relate. Yeah, female. Mm-hmm. I also really want to read, uh, there is a, his name is Billy. He just won the Giller Poetry Prize. He's a oh. indigenous, I believe, trans poet. And his collection is supposed to be amazing. Yeah. And so I want to read that. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be really good. Mm-hmm. No, I know. I think it's important to re- relate. And I, because writing is so subjective. Yeah. That if you feel something, re- whether somebody else thinks it's good or bad, that to me is good writing. Yeah. So I like that you're like, you love poetry and mm-hmm. it makes you feel something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is kind of a big question. <laughs> if somebody asked me it, I would not know what to say. But I love asking big questions and get people thinking. For you, where do you see the next five to ten years of your life? Are there any goals that you really want to accomplish? Because I think if you speak it out loud, it'll come to fruition. I mean, I think something that I've been thinking about really seriously the last little while is is publishing a book. Yes. I mean, I have this poetry collection that I'm working on, but I think maybe just because I've been reading so much essay format, short fiction kind of stuff, I think I really want to write a book at some point. Yeah. I don't know when that's going to be it's going to be in the next 10 years or like later you'll do it I think I want to I want to publish a book at some point I think I want to keep working and publishing I'd like to move up and you know I think like you said seeing like Kristen become a CEO I don't know if I want to be a CEO but like I know that there are Mm -hmm. way more opportunities that I could yeah grab hold of I want to keep working with you know things that I care about people that I care about I want to keep reading I want to keep exploring I want to travel more like I just I feel like I feel like I'm in a really good spot where I've finally figured out what I love doing. Mm-hmm. and Which is, it takes a long time and a lot of people never find it. So it's yeah. such a gift that you have found this niche and you're mm-hmm. so happy in this industry. Mm-hmm. I love it. And you can tell, you can tell that you. you found the right fit, even just like seeing you and hearing you talk about it. I know it's right, mm-hmm. even though I'm not in your brain, but <laughs> <laughs> you can tell, which is really nice. Yeah. And I think, you know, I want to stay in this industry and I don't know if... Uh, like, I don't know if I have any, like, really secure, like, I want to be a CEO in 10-year goals or, like, I want to be a director in this many years, but I want to keep, you know, improving and learning and, and getting all that I can out of what I'm doing. And Yeah. Yeah. Do you see yourself in Toronto or do you see, are you open to 
I'm honestly kind of open to wherever at this point. Yeah. I, you're the more fluid. You're not yeah. settled. I think because I also, I was working freelance for a year before before I started at Penguin, and I know that I can do that. So mm-hmm. that's kind of reassuring if I ever feel like I need, you know, to go do my own thing and yeah. maybe go live somewhere else. Or I do love, I am in a point, though, where I really like Toronto right now, so... We'll see. Yeah. I find now that it's summer in Toronto, too, <laughs> yeah. I have a newfound <laughs> love for it. Yeah. Oh, seasonal affect disorder yeah, is real. Huge. Yeah. Do you have any advice for writers, wannabe authors? I said the other day, you shouldn't call yourself aspiring, and I still believe that. Okay. So, yeah, just advice in general that you use yourself that you think could be words of wisdom for other people. Sure. <laughs> um, I think the most important thing, and I kind of touched on this, I guess, is read yes if you want to write read figure out what you like figure out what you don't like figure out what kind of things you want to write write try to write every day I feel like this is like such cheesy classic writer advice but even if it's like shit even if you're writing something shitty every day or like you're just writing how you feel that day just write something down every day keep like I mean I have my notes app on my phone is just full of random snippets of like things that could become poems later or like stories or whatever so mm-hmm. just you know keep your brain on yeah and write stuff down and like you know and I think reach out to people network talk to people mm-hmm. get people to read your work I know that's scary when so it's unfinished scary. but like you know get people's feedback get used to putting yourself out there just keep pushing at it I like, love it if you love it keep doing it and something good will come from it at some point Oh, you're the best. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you're the best. That's, I'm so happy to be here. That's it. The show notes for this episode are at louiseclairjohnson.com slash podcast. You can follow and comment along on Instagram at wordweaverpodcast. You can find Alex on Instagram at McGill. If you like what you heard today, make sure you leave a review on iTunes or the Stitcher app, as that's how more people can find out about the Word Weaver podcast. Until next time. I had to wait with words for a 